Well, good morning, Life Church. So glad to be with you this morning. Pastor Brian is up at our Bath campus, Mid Coast campus, doing the message this morning. And so you're here with me. And uh, next week, he's going to continue with his contentment series. But today, we're going to take a side journey down uh, God's healing power for our lives, right? More specifically, the process of healing that God has for us. Now, I think uh, God makes it perfectly clear. Now, why would we have to talk about God's healing, right? I mean, we're already at church. We already know Jesus, right? We don't have any of those pains and struggles anymore. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, God makes it perfectly clear that none of us, no matter how great our experiences have been, how great our upbringing was, or how big our bank account is, that we have never, we have not got rid of the damage of sin, right, in our life. We've all been damaged by it, the sin on this earth, and just like gravity, none of us have been able to get away from it, and it's left its mark on our life. But happy people see it as it is, and they enjoy the process of healing, right? Well, miserable people never see the real wounds, or they keep blaming someone else for what the sin really is. I want to be one of those happy people. I think I am a happy guy. But it's not because I'm better or smarter or more good-looking. That's not it. I'm happy because I've come to realize the truth of what Jesus has to say. He claims that we all need his healing power and that he lays it out for us and that he's the only one uh, that can give it to us. So I want to talk about this healing process because you're either in it or you're waiting for a bomb to go off, right? Now let me introduce myself. I, my name's Matt Burr, but you can call me Matty B., that's what my friends call me here. My wife Erin and I are the uh, pastors Celebrate Recovery that meets here. And we're also known for having a ridiculously happy marriage. And uh, my wife is a total babe, and I don't know how I convinced her to marry me, but she's stuck now, and uh, I've got her, and she gets all of this. You know, we do have a happy marriage. We have a happy home. Don't get me wrong. We've got bills to pay and kids to contain, but we do have fun doing it. I mean, look at this happy crew right here. This is my family, little Sadie in the middle there, right? That's a happy crew. Well, look at this uh, next picture here. This was taken a few years ago. Now, that's a happy family. Mom and dad with their big smiles on their faces. And those boys couldn't be grumpier about having their picture taken. <laughs> Look at Silas. I just love this picture. Look at that kid. He's crazy. All right. Well, we do have a happy life. I have a happy wife, and uh, we do have a happy home. But there was a time in my life when I didn't think it was possible to be a good father or a good husband or even a good employee or a good friend. And it, it just didn't seem possible to me until I experienced healing through Jesus Christ. And then I started enjoying and walking through this healing process. My life has been completely changed because of that. So let's look at healing, right? No matter where you're at, no matter what stage of life, we all can go one step further in God's healing, right? This healing process. You know, Jesus wants so much for our families, our relationships, our marriages. Jesus wants to take us deeper in all areas of our lives. But a lot of times there are these roadblocks that get in the way of us being the people that he wants us to be. And some of those roadblocks may be wounds. They may be the hard parts of our lives. Some of them may just be him fine-tuning us little by little in areas. But in all, in all of our hearts, there are areas that Jesus wants to keep going deeper in through healing through him. 
And healing is a process, and I'd like to look at it as a process of recovery. Now, I know that, uh, you know, we're in recovery from those hurts, that pain, those hang-ups in our life that hold us back from being the men and women that we're meant to be. Now, I know that most of us, when we see this word recovery in this context, we think of recovering alcoholic or drug addict. And that's for good reason, because drug uh, alcoholism and drug addiction is an epidemic in this world, and I'm willing to bet that everyone in this room has dealt with it in one way or the other, either been addicted ourselves or uh, someone in close relationship to us been addicted. Many of us in this room have experienced loss, have know some, personally know somebody that's died as a direct result of addiction of some sort. So being such a big reality in our lives, it's no surprise that the first thing we think of is when we hear the word recovery is addiction. But today I want us to take a look inside ourselves. Where do we lean on? What's our tendency go? Where does that take us? Because if you ask any uh, alcoholic or drug addict in recovery, they'll tell you that drugs and alcohol wasn't the problem. The problem was me and my stinking thinking, right? Drugs and alcohol was a solution. It was helping us cope with some underlying stuff. And it was a solution. It wasn't a great solution. Speaking from experience, uh, drugs and alcohol caused a lot of problems in my life. But looking back, it truly was this kind of solution for me. And the key to my recovery and my healing was to find a real solution. Because drugs and alcohol wasn't a real solution. They were just a temporary fix, right? So my question to you this morning is, what is your solution What is your solution to overcome the mistakes you've made, the pain and the hurts that have been done to you, and overcome the shame and the pain of the hurts that you've done to others? What is your solution? Because you know we're not alone, right? Like I said, each one of us have this thing called a sinful nature, and we live on this earth with all these other humans that have the same thing. So we've all been hurt. And we've all done the hurting. And we all need to overcome that. But the difference is, what is our solution? What do we seek to find peace and, and uh, serenity in our lives? What steps, what choices, what direction are we going to look to move forward and be those happy people, right? So would you open up to Romans chapter 7 for me? In your uh, pew Bible is page 862. We're going to uh, look at what Paul has to say about struggling with sin. It's page 862, starting on verse 14, Romans chapter 7. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for what I do, what I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, that shows that I agree the law is good. So I am not the one doing the wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I, want, I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Verse 21. 
I have discovered the prin- this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is this other power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Three, verse 25 again. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word that you've given us. And thank God that the answer, the solution, is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for this time, these moments we get to spend with each other. And I pray that this message not be some inspiring speech or funny talk, but that we actually experience you through it. That you open our hearts for something different. That we have revelation that we can take with us and that we leave here different than we came. Everybody says, amen. Have you ever had a summer cold? You got a cold in the summertime? About a month or so ago, I got a summer cold. I thought it was allergies, but it turned into a cold. And uh, I get the cold or get the flu, you know, once or twice a year. I mean, we have four kids. Those things carry around germs like I don't know what. And I know you wouldn't think this about me, or, or if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't know, but... When I get a cold or get sick, um, yeah, I'm a total wimp. Yeah, I'm a big baby. Just ask Erin. She'll tell you I'm that guy. I'm snuggled up with all my blankies in bed and moaning and groaning all day long. And there's tissues around the trash can because I can't quite muster up enough strength to get up. I'm requesting things like, uh, honey, can you get me some medicine? Can you make me some of that uh, chicken noodle soup that you make? Aaron makes the best chicken noodle soup, by the way. It's almost worth getting sick for. But yeah, I'm in bed all day, and I don't know about you, but when you're down physically, do you get down emotionally? Yeah, well, me too. And uh, I start looking at myself, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're a mess up here, man. You're useless, right? I'm looking around the room, this stinks, that stinks, I stink, you know, everything. And I start getting, beating myself up. I mean, have you been there? I don't know, I I have, and uh, I think Paul goes there a little bit, doesn't he? He goes down this road a little bit. I mean, look at the wording that he uses. I don't really understand myself. I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And this is the Apostle Paul. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Take it easy, bud. Jeez, you know? I mean, when I read this, I'm like, this guy steal my journal or what? I mean, can you relate? I mean, how many times have you told yourself, man, I can't believe I did that again. I didn't want to, but I did it again. Well, we're all born with this sinful nature and this powerlessness inside us. And it can get messy, but when we realize that on our own, we are powerless, it changes things. That we need to look to someone else for the power we don't have. We recognize a need for a power greater than ourselves. 
So let's, let's back up and take a look at this sinful nature at the very beginning of sinful nature. What was God wanting from Adam and Eve in the garden from the beginning? What was his call and what went wrong? I mean, we need to know the problem before we know the solution, right? So Genesis 2.15, we can look at there. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So the very first thing, Adam had uh, some work to do, right? Get a job done. Tend Tend the garden and watch over it. 16, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge, good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. Now why, you ever think to yourself, why would God put this tree in the garden if he didn't want Adam to eat from it anyway? I mean, right in the middle of the garden, he puts it there. I mean, was it some temptation that God puts in there and just says, yeah, let's see how long this guy lasts. Well, let's look at the name of the tree. I think we get something from the name of the tree, knowledge of good and evil, Right? This wasn't just some arbitrary command of don't touch the fruit or don't eat it from the tree. It was a call to closeness, a call to intimacy. He's saying there's two roads you can go down. You be your own God, your own uh, knowledge, your own way, and it's not going to end well. Or you can rely utterly on me, and it's going to go well, and you will have peace, Right? So from the beginning, there's been these two choices. We need to lean on him for the knowledge of good and evil. We need to let him lead us and guide us to be with us, living by faith and knowing that he will reward. Or we can say, I can do it. I'll reward myself. I don't need you, God, in this area. And it goes further and further away from him, less and less joy, less and less peace, and less life. From the beginning, there's been these two choices. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what road are we walking on? What choice, what direction are we heading? Now, we know the rest of the story, right? I mean, did they eat or did they not eat? Well, they ate. And look at the very first thing that God does. What's the very first response to sin? He asks a question. He asks a question. Now, do you think God asks a question because he doesn't know something and he's looking for an answer? No, he's God. He doesn't ever need an answer. He asks this question. Where are you? Not because he didn't know where Adam physically was. He's asking in a rhetorical sense, Where are you, Adam? Come home. Why are you hiding? Why did you leave me? Why are you not listening to my voice anymore? God's first response to sin is not condemnation or guilt or shame. It's God saying, where are you? You don't have to run away. And the story goes on. Adam and Eve come out of hiding. But they say to him, we hid because we were naked. And then God asks a second question. Another rhetorical question. Who told you you were naked? It's as if he's saying, who told you you're not good enough? Who told you you were condemned? Who told you you had to hide? Because that's not my voice. From the beginning was intimacy, walking with you and knowing you. 
That's not the true voice over you. So, what voice do you listen to? I heard this once. I think it's a great way to measure whether we're hearing God's voice or not, right? I mean, we struggle with that when we're praying or reading or whatever. Is it really God speaking to us? Is it God's voice? Well, if it's the one voice calling you out of hiding, that's a good hint. It's probably his. If it's the voice putting you into isolation, into condemnation, into no life, that's definitely not his. That's not the character of God. See, God calls us out of hiding. He calls us into vulnerability. He calls us into a place that stretches us a bit. We have to ask ourselves, is that the voice I know? Is that the voice I'm listening to? So when I read this, you know, nothing, not much has really changed. I mean, I can relate to this. Can you see the same thing today? God is still asking the same question, and we're still hiding. I used to use my life, my job, my money, or lack of, to cover up and hide just like they did. I can do it on my own. I don't need anyone else's help. Can you relate? We feel that vulnerability and shame, and instead of coming out into it, we say, I'm just going to hide more. I put on my mask. Everything's just fine on the outside. We wear masks, we crop and edit, filter all the best pictures of our life on Facebook or wherever. But inside we're hiding, listening to a voice in our head that insists we're not good enough. That we're never going to overcome this. That we're all alone in this. And after listening to that voice long enough, we believe it to be true. Now I said when I read this that uh, nothing really has changed. And that's true in a sense that God is still asking where are you? Lean on me. Let God do the rewarding. But there is something amazingly different from this and now, and it's Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that woman who was wounded physically, emotionally, financially, and she reached out to Jesus with expected faith that if she could just touch his clothes, that she would be healed. Jesus changed everything. We've got our own wounds, don't we? Physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, and Jesus can change that for us. He actually already has, and we need to just unpack that wholeness that he's placed inside of our hearts and stop listening to the wrong voice. Who told you you were alone? Who told you you're not good enough? Who told you you can't do it? Not Jesus We are made whole through Jesus Christ. Someone needs to hear this. You are not alone. You are good enough. Jesus can change situations and circumstances. Jesus can change your life. He did mine, and I've seen it over and over again in Celebrate Recovery. People's lives are being transformed through Jesus Christ. People are healing. Relationships are being healed. Marriages are being healed. Hearts, minds, and souls are being healed. Wholeness through this process of recovery, we are experiencing wholeness. We talked about wholeness a few weeks ago, and Jesus makes us whole, and there's a process to experience that. So let's unpack that, like Brian likes to say. Unpack this process of healing, this process of recovery. 
And it's summarized in three different parts or three stages, okay? So the first stage or the first part is we need to realize we're not God. We need to turn from fill in the blank and turn towards God. We need to realize what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. On my own, I am powerless over this crazy mind of mine. I need all the love and the grace and the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And we admit that sometimes I've got it wrong, that my way of thinking isn't always the best. I need to realize what God's been saying from the beginning. Where are you, Maddie? Who's running the show, you or me? And I don't know about you, but that's hard sometimes. Admitting that I'm not right is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, can you relate or have you never been wrong before? That saying, I thought I made a mistake once, but I was wrong. <laughs> no. It's hard to admit when we're, doing the, when we're not doing the right thing. And most of the time, it's because we're lying to ourselves. I know nobody here does this, but back in the day, I lived in a fantasy world. So many times in my life, God would put up these road signs, these signposts, we call them. And I'd blow right past them. Like, this isn't going to go good, Maddie. Big neon letters. And I'd do it anyway. Jail, hospitals, car accidents, broken relationships, broken bones. The list goes on and on. But I never saw the signpost because I wasn't willing to step out into vulnerability. I wasn't willing to take my mask off. I wasn't willing to admit that maybe there's a better way through life. Jeremiah 6.14 says, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Now, everybody knows that the first step to a problem is step out of denial, right? But what do we step into? We step into God's grace. Step out of denial and step into God's grace. Turning from my way, my thinking, and turning towards God's way, God's plans, and God's grace. Now, the second part of recovery is cleanup. We've made some painful mistakes. We've suffered some painful hurts. We've got some bad habits and some ugly hang-ups, right? So we've got to clean some of that stuff up. We evaluate what's going on. We take a look at our part. Maybe look at some people we need to forgive that hurt us. We look at some places where we need to make some amends to people we've hurt. Is this the hard part? Yeah. But how many people here know have discovered that good things don't come easy? That most of the time, for something great, it takes a little effort. Well, recovery is no different. Healing will only come if we step out into that vulnerability that God has called us to. It's like having a cut or a wound, right? I mean, the first thing you've got to do is, if you want to heal, is clean it. If you don't, it gets infected, it gets worse. Well, some of us have some deep wounds, really deep wounds. And when you have wound, you cover it up, right? Someone touches it, you cringe, get away from that, pull away. What would that be in your life? What's that thing that when a friend gets close you pull back, maybe even break off that relationship. They're too close to the hard parts of your life. 
what would that wound be? The place that you cover up, that you hide, that's sensitive and hurts. Well, let's bring those wounds to Jesus, and he can clean them. Now, I know that some of those wounds are big, and some of those wounds are hard. I mean, just from statistics, we know that there's most likely people in here that have had an abortion, and they're struggling with the shame and the pain of that. I know that there's people in here that have probably struggled with sexual abuse, physical abuse, tragic loss of loved ones. There's deep wounds in this room, but let me tell you, there's deep healing in Jesus Christ. And the process of recovery is the path to healing. Look at James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's getting together with each other and talking about our wounds, our hang-ups, is the path to healing. See, when we confess our sins to Jesus, we are forgiven. But when we get together with each other, with a community of people that are for us, honestly sit down and talk about our fears, our pain, the good, bad, and the ugly, this verse promises we can be healed. Jesus does the cleaning, and we just need to bring him the wound. A good friend of mine in recovery told me this early on, and it's helped me as I've walked this process of healing. We're not doing this recovery stuff because we're bad trying to get good. We're doing it because we're sick trying to get well. There's a difference, isn't there? And I think Jesus talked about that a lot, right? Well, the third part of recovery, third stage of this process of healing, is being there to help others. Do you know that the very thing that we're hurting over that we're feeling pain about can be the thing that God wants to use to help others. What happens to a wound after it's healed? Sometimes we get a scar, right? I mean, scars don't hurt anymore. It's there. Sometimes it's not our favorite thing to show others, but it's there and it doesn't hurt anymore. I don't know. It's probably a guy thing, but scars are cool, right? I mean, doesn't the saying, chicks dig scars, still hold true? I don't know. I got a scar on my forehead right here. I tripped over my shoelaces when I was seven or eight, hit the corner of a wall, right? I wish I had some better story other than that, right? I mean, I was cracked over the head with a beer ball, defending my girl. I don't know. That's probably not that great either. (laughs) The cool thing about this scar is my son Silas has a scar almost in the exact same spot. He was climbing up on a chair in the kitchen, fell down, whacked his head. So I tell him all the time, hey, you got the same scar, buddy. We match. What can I say? I guess uh, clumsiness runs in the family. I've got some other scars, too. When I was 16 years old, a friend of my father's sexually abused me. When I was 24, my father died as a direct result of alcoholism. And I guess it was meant to be that I'm speaking this weekend because six years ago, July 2nd, 2011, I sat on the edge of a bed with a gun in my mouth trying to talk myself out of pulling the trigger. I say this stuff not to be dramatic or over the top. I say this stuff because those scars don't hurt anymore. And I've experienced healing through Jesus Christ and through this process. And someone in this room needs to hear that because I'm guessing there's some wounds in here that haven't experienced that healing. When you have a wound become a scar, 
then you can tell people about it, how great he is and what he's done. You can't do that with a wound because it's still there. You're still feeling the pain. We cover it up. We, we hold back. We cringe. But when you find healing, we're like, look what Jesus did. Look where he healed me. And the ripple effect of that is amazing and it changes lives. One person overcomes and helps somebody else overcome. Then that person overcomes. Then their family is completely changed and their kids see the difference. Because one person stepped out of guilt and shame and stepped into that vulnerability that God is calling us into, you see the ripple effect? You may have already talked yourself out of this process of recovery, this healing, by saying, well, this only affects me. It's only my problem. Not even close. Not even close. God will take your hurt, your habit, your hang-ups, and use them in more amazing ways than you could ever come up with. Look at Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So what's your all things? Abuse, addiction, divorce, jail, betrayal, loss, whatever it is, Jesus wants healing for you. And he can turn that very thing into his purpose. God wants to be with you. You don't have to hide anymore. He wants you to be whole and he wants you to be full of peace. Some of us in this room right now are feeling that tug from God. Where are you? And I hope we can answer, I am right here, God. I am right here. I am trusting you. I am trusting you. Because that is what he has called us to do. I'm going to wrap up with this one last thing. Some of you are probably asking yourself, Maddie, I wish there was a place that we could go and learn about this process of recovery, this process of healing. Maybe a place at my church where I could connect with people that have uh, stepping out of this guilt and shame. A place where people have overcome and are working towards getting closer to God, not hiding from him. Well, I am glad you asked. (laughs) The Celebrate Recovery meets here every Tuesday at 6.30, even this Tuesday. And we do this recovery stuff every week. And like I said, I've seen so many people's lives completely transformed by Jesus, by stepping out of guilt, shame, pain, and stepping into God's grace. Turning from my way, my rewards, and turning to God's way, God's grace. And I want to encourage you to come check out what's going on on Tuesday nights. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you? Some of us sitting in this full room, full of people, are feeling completely alone, are feeling ashamed, are feeling like hiding. But Jesus can change things. And when we we respond externally to what we're feeling internally, it is a huge step towards God, a step out of hiding. 
So I'm going to ask you, if you are feeling that tug from God, asking the question, where are you? And you want to say, I am right here, God. I want you as a solution, God. I need your healing, God. Just raise your hand right there so I can pray for you. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I lift up all these hands that are lifted to you, God. I just ask you that you continue to give us the strength to step out of vulnerability, to step into your grace. Just pray for healing. We proclaim in the name of Jesus, healing for everyone in this room. We ask this in the name of your Son.